From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. This season of Innovators on Tap is sponsored by Husco International, a fast-growing, community-oriented company specializing in high-performance hydraulic and electromechanical components. With over 70 years of experience designing and manufacturing these components, Husco takes pride in collaborating with customers to develop innovative solutions. Husco has U.S. locations in Wisconsin and Iowa and global locations in England, Germany, China, and India. A privately owned company that offers more than just a job, a career at Husco is an entrepreneurial experience full of incredible opportunities for growth, creativity, and innovation. Go to husco.com to begin your next adventure and put the lessons you've learned from the podcast to work. Desmond Wiggins started his career like many other aspiring leaders, working for a large company and immersing himself in their management development program. While learning how to manage a team and deliver on his targets were important skills, Desmond comes from a long line of entrepreneurs, and he wanted something more. He wanted to lead. So he decided to pivot, gave up his job at a Fortune 500 company, and moved to China to dive into their tech and startup scene. In a new country, without any support network, he learned how to lead, making connections, learning to embrace risk, and finding ways to do what many others thought couldn't be done. Our conversation touches on how his experience in China led him to create his company, Battery Exchange, which utilizes a kiosk to allow customers to rent portable chargers to keep their devices powered all day long, and how he builds a team around a common culture, and how he's adapting to the challenges caused by the COVID crisis to develop new opportunities for his business. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. So Desmond, welcome and thanks for joining me today on Innovators on Tap. Man, thanks, Chuck. Thanks for the invite. Um, I've definitely been looking forward to this. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. But before we kind of get into your professional story, I want to start with a quote from you about how your family kind of helped shape your mindset. And I think you said, I'm a third generation entrepreneur. My grandpa was an entrepreneur. My dad came over from Jamaica and he was a financial entrepreneur. And so I knew this was going to be my calling. I'm curious, why do you think you and your family had this entrepreneurial streak in you? Is there something about it that, that you've identified that makes you guys unique? I think that, you know, where we come from, um, you, you talk about a third world country. Um, you talk about you know, trying to scrape and just kind of figure out how you can get by to, in essence, like everybody wanting to come to America. Right. Um, I think when you see that history um, in the family line, it's always a push to like put our family in an opportunity or an arena to where we can be the best ourselves, Right. Or we, we can have the most. Um, and so I think, you know, those cultural values just kind of been have been passed down from my granddad to, to my dad and now to me. So look, I know that before you became an entrepreneur, you worked for Pepsi. And I think while you were there, you even part of their leadership development program. And so I'm curious, what did you take away from that program that 
you've continued to use in your career? I, sometimes I bow ma- bad mouth corporate, but for the most part, I respect it and appreciate it because a lot of what I learned in that leadership development program was how to work with other teams that don't, in essence, come from your area. And then also how to see things from different perspectives, right? So within my leadership training program, I was everything from, you know, HR, sales, marketing, logistics. I use those same values of like just understanding different perspectives and different teams to me now being a CEO, right? Because like I have to still lead and manage these different departments. But again, I I try to be really open to uh, perspective and understanding that the reason why an individual is feeling or saying or, you know, bringing this opinion in is because of what they have experienced or what they're seeing on a day to day basis. So, again, I, I appreciate that corporate environment. And those are probably some of the bigger takeaways from it. So, you know, I had a chance to start up my career at HP, large corporation, and then I went to Cree at the time, which was a 30 person startup. So I got to see both sides of it. And I sense that we use the word leadership in corporate America differently than we use it when we're starting our own business. And so I sometimes think that, you know, more of what corporate America is doing is probably more what falls into what I consider to be management. What was your reaction to that? Totally. And that was my uncomfortability within corporate. You know, this is when I badmouth it, right? I talk about, I was in a management position, granted at a younger age, but I started to see how I was quite different than other managers because I took time to like understand people. You know, I always say like taking time to see what, you know, motivates them. Right. And not just like, Hey, you got to do this because I'm the big boss type of thing. And so And I don't know whose fault it is. I just know that like on the other side of the world, as far as like the entrepreneurial circle, you get to to really lead. You get to, you know, be human. And I think that because of the corporate culture of like just not even just the stress, just the strains and the demands that come with it, that you can't even be human at times, depending on what company it is. Yeah, my sense is, is that in large corporations, we're so focused on the metrics and hitting the goal. And you really are rewarded for signing up for a goal, delivering the goal, signing up for the next one. And so it, it truly is a, you know, essentially it's a management driven culture, right? It, there's not a lot of reward for, hey, you tried this, you failed miserably. Don't worry about it. We learned a lot. It generally is not how things work in a big corporation. At least it wasn't in my case. And that's the thing. I wonder, like on retrospect, because like you run a startup to become a company that in essence is going to be, quote unquote, the new day and age corporate entity. Right. And so like 10, 15 years from now, are we still going to be where we're at now, where leadership is the mover and not management? And like I constantly think about that because. I can't fault this Fortune 500 company for having to operate that way. You know, that's just how they, it's too many people. And so, you know, it'll be interesting as we grow and as I grow as a, as a leader, just how that perspective potentially changes or, you know, what I guess values we kind of stay on um, still, you know, as we grow. I want to switch gears a little bit because I know after Pepsi, you made this pretty interesting kind of career pivot. You go to China to get experience overseas. And it's my understanding you, you didn't like go to China with a lot of knowledge about how things work. And you're working with a bunch of tech companies and startups. I got a chance to work in China a lot, including we ran a big company there. And I'm curious, from your perspective during that time, 
What's kind of the biggest aha moment or the biggest learning you took away from your time in China? Just really erasing the preconceived opinions and notions that we have on people outside of you know America. Um, I think we grow up and we learn about people, but we don't really know. And so what I looked to do when I went over there was I really wanted to immerse myself, but I wanted to do it in an organic way because I was just like, man, I'm really going over there for business. Right. But in order to learn the business, you got to know the people. Right. And you got to really be organic and authentic to really understand the people. And so, like, I don't think I necessarily was intentional on living life like that. But now I am. And I feel like I'm flowing a little bit better. I'm I'm learning people a little bit, a lot more. And I'm I'm connecting the dots on a lot of different things, especially like high level things um, a bit easier because I'm going into it without like any blocking. The thing I learned is that if you grow up in the Western world, you have a sense of perspective that you assume things are a certain way, right? Everyone must think this way. And spending time in China, you realize, no, actually, those are our rules and our values. And they're actually not inherently right. They are what we think they are. But someone could have a different set of rules and values. And it should be not only equally respected, but if we really want to start on a timeline, pretty sure the Chinese culture is a little bit older than the Western one we're comparing to. And you start going, wow, all right, maybe there are two ways to see these things. It doesn't mean I have to change what I believe, but learning to understand things from other people's perspective is an incredibly powerful tool. And it, by the way, it doesn't just mean U.S. and China. I think, you know, in our country today, we could all use a little bit of that going on right now. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree. And I think one other you know, aha moment was, you know, just how they really look at innovation. You know, they're, they're so like not risk averse, like even in like my whole region in like North Carolina, I could see, I mean, like I'm clawing just to like tell people about like what even our company is about or like innovation, like we should try this, we should do that. Man, it didn't matter if you were in Shanghai, you know, Beijing or like a city where I was in Shenzhen, which is in the middle of nowhere, China. It's like people are just so willing to try the next best thing. I think that I also brought that philosophy back with me and I try to like share that with my team as well. It's just like, let's try it. You know, like let's 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 see what happens, you know, and not being scared. So one last question about your experience in China you know, you went there and you really didn't have any connections. You, you know, you were kind of throwing yourself into this pool of uncertainty. And I think for a lot of people, that's super intimidating. And most people wouldn't even be willing to try it. Why do you think you were open-minded enough to go give it a shot? It really comes from like my cultural background, my, my family. My parents have always pushed, you know, diversity and like cultures and you never know what you'll learn. Um, and so I, I really just led with that and then just kind of fell into understanding how things work. I think I was just really, really good at like understanding dynamics and understanding relationships. And I also took that with me as well. Like I've always been a big advocate on like relationships and building relationships and like figuring out how to connect with people. My understanding that when you're in China is when you come up with the idea for battery exchange, what's the elevator pitch on what is battery exchange? And then maybe just a little bit of the backstory, how the idea come about. It's a rental platform where we provide on-demand portable batteries for cell phone users. You know, because again, the cell phone being our lifeline, 
a lot of people gravitated towards it. They were just like, hey, this is more convenient. Like, I don't have to do this. And now I could do this and I could pick up this battery from one location and drop it off to another location. And so um, but it, honestly, it came from us being in that inconvenience, like me and my co-founder, my now co-founder, Aubrey, we were um, out all day and just kind of moving and grooving and um, ran into the inconvenience of having a dead battery and like didn't have the time to stay in charge, but also didn't even have a charger with us. We we're just like, you know, challenging the narrative of like, why wasn't there a more convenient way to, to, to maneuver around and like charge your cell phone? This is such a, you know, minuscule, minute thing that we kind of overlook, but it's just like, it's still inconvenient. And so we just as innovators said like there, let's push that better way. And so that night we went back, literally was drawing out business models. I had started to build some connections in the manufacturing world and the technology world. So we were able to fast track like some MVPs and stuff like that. But um, yeah, one thing led to another, but it literally happened from us being in that situation. So where today could I go and use battery exchange? Where are you guys at right now? Pre-COVID, our, you know, our distribution channels um, was the event industry, right? So, you know, conventions, um, conferences, anything from bar crawls, like to really any atmosphere where you would spend a, a few hours of your time, right? Our biggest one was down in Miami most recently with the Super Bowl. And so now we're, you know, figuring out the where we could still be of value um, to the current climate. And so um, the hospital arena is a climate that we're tackling very heavily with essential workers and then also transportation areas. And so transportation stops and like light rails and, you know, and buses because a lot of blue collar workers are still going into work. And so our business model has shifted from a B to C where it's more on the end user to a B2B and it's more on the businesses and they're providing this extra amenity to customers and attendees. I've got a chance to talk to so many people during COVID about what happens to your business in these times. And I just wonder that even though it's a bit of a struggle for you guys, my guess is it's actually probably challenged you to think about what your real value is and how you can deliver it in ways that I would guess if you look back, and it probably doesn't feel this way right now, but I would imagine you look back one and two years from now and you will have pushed your business in some directions that you probably never would have got to otherwise. And I think as tough as it is, it's actually, for most businesses, it's an advantage to be forced to think about these problems sooner rather than later. Because if you didn't, someone else was going to. Exactly. And I think you bring up a really good point. And like, as an entrepreneur, you don't want to go through this because it, it you're, you're like this, like you're like a rag and it's just wrenching you out and it's, it's hard, it's tough. And it's so many like unanswered questions, but it does push you and you have to put yourself in such a resilient mentality and adaptability mentality that, you know, whatever happens, I'm going to figure it out. And so like for us, we had did this like crowd fundraise that allowed us to raise capital to have a little bit of runway. But within that crowdfund, we also raised money to um, build out some new kiosk machines and so some larger machines that allowed us to automate some things, right? And so businesses can now communicate with people through our digital screens. And I think pre-COVID, we just saw it as like branding, advertisement, but in this whole COVID environment where Honestly, a business probably wants to communicate with you through a device or through something else before like kind of talking, you know, one on one with you. 
it allowed us to see that there is so much more value in this new product that we're having and we just have to market it a little bit different to the current environment. So it did force us to kind of look at that. And then, you know, I'm appreciative of just how we were able to navigate through this time, um, you know, the right way. So let me give you a problem that I get asked about all the time, which is, you know, a lot of companies are trying to develop very innovative new products, something that's never been done before. And so I always get asked, how do you, how do you ask a customer for something and to tell you about something that they don't know is yet possible? So how do you engage a customer where you get at what's really important to them and not just get stuck at this cycle of, hey, what do you want? Well, I want a slightly better version of what I have today. How do you get at that? In the going through the accelerators, right, you learn like customer discovery, right? And you learn how to actually approach customer discovery. Because I will tell you, when I first started it, it was just like, hey, I'm Desmond. I have this really, really great product. And like automatically their mind was skewed to one trying to make me feel good. Right. Like whether they're going to use the product or not. And so I think just like going into conversations as um, I'm going to use this word like ignorant as possible to where it's just like, hey, I want to really just make sure that I understand what makes you tick, what's important to you and if what I think is an opportunity is actually an opportunity for you. So a lot of times, even, you know, when we do cold conversations and talking to customers, I just, I beat around the bush. I talk about things that in essence would bring them to a dead battery, you know, and then, you know, kind of figure out what their, their go-to is right now. Um, And then we introduce, Hey, if there was a better solution type thing. So as I've grown through this, like, few years of entrepreneurship is just really understanding how to to ask those detailed questions to get as much as you want out of like your potential customers, but not coming in with like, hey, I have this really great product that's going to change your life. Because again, they just get skewed and they they they're just going to want to just protect you um, at the end of the day. Yeah, I think one of the challenges we all have is, as humans, we want to validate our ideas, right? We, we're looking for positive confirmation. And one of the tricks we used to try is you don't go in and tell the customer you hate your product, but you talk to them and you ask questions not to try to validate if you're right. You try to figure out if you're wrong. You want to avoid confirmation bias, right? And so I found there was always something to this. If you could change your mindset or frame of reference as you went into the conversation, you were a lot likely to hear what they were actually trying to tell you. Um, so curious, you said you went through an accelerator. What is the thing you took from your accelerator experience that you think helped you the most in your business? I think what I learned, whether it's an early stage one, an equity one, is from the beginning, understand what your end goal is with this and understand their, I guess, philosophies on partnerships, because I think that's always the biggest thing that I see out of these accelerators is the partnerships that they have and how you're able to leverage that throughout this nine weeks, 16 weeks, however long the accelerator is. And I feel like I see a lot of people like in cohorts with me, it's just like, they don't have like a, Hey, I'm here for this. You know, they don't really spend time learning the philosophy, the mentality of the accelerator, because if you can think like them, 
you'll know how you can get the most out of them. Right. And so like, it's a different approach to look at accelerators, but I think if you look at it like that, you could get way more than just like, Hey, I went into this course or this class and I learned a few things, but after the nine weeks, that's it. So if you had to share one piece of wisdom with someone else who's aspiring to be an entrepreneur, what would it be? I would say on a motivation side that, and this is something that I have to tell myself, you know, consistently, uh, when I wake up in the morning, like you're enough, you know, granted you do have to be competent. I'm not going to say like anybody can do it, but a lot of times if we understand what we're good at and leverage that, that's enough to bring people on a team. That's enough to find an angel. That's enough for so many things. But, you know, a lot of people are just going to continuously tell you, no, 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 no. And like, don't let that no shape who you are and like who you think you are. And I feel like once I started to do that, like, man, you could tell me whatever. And it's just like, all right, cool. I know who I am, you know? So I guess that's a little bit of wisdom and that's a little bit of motivation, but that's what I would say to like an inspiring entrepreneur. If you're enjoying this episode and want to learn more about how you can discover the mindset to pursue the impossible, please check out my new book, The Innovator's Spirit, where I explain the beliefs that lead to the behaviors that make innovation possible. It is available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Now, let's get back to the show. So I'm going to switch gears now, and I want to ask you a series of questions that are going to be a little less about your business specifically and more about you, your mindset, kind of how you view certain aspects of both kind of innovation and entrepreneurship. So here's the first one. Do you think your success has come more from avoiding failure or embracing failure? One, you got to realize and understand that like failure is a part of the process, right? And the quicker that you can embrace it, the quicker you can learn from it, right? And so I feel like, you know, an example is like me being able to lead Battery Exchange now is because of the failed startups that I had when I was working corporate or I wasn't 100% into my company and my business. And so, you know, now that I'm like at it for like a third time, I'm comfortable because I went through those uncomfortable times. And like, if you're not open to embracing it, like it's just going to be a lot more harder and it's just a shift in mentality. And like, that's something that I wish I would have had in the beginning, but you learn, you you learn with the punches and you roll with it. and, And that's how you really get better and grow, to be honest. So if you're going to pursue innovation, what do you think is more important? The brutal truths or psychological safety? So it's a little bit uh, like, of course, both, right? But um, I think that the psychological safety aspect for me and how my team has grown is understand that there's an environment to where if I have an idea, I can share it and not be ridiculed. It's not that you won't be criticized or like, you know, we won't talk and give you, you know, honest feedback. You could at least get it out and like kind of going back to like that corporate environment. It wasn't like that. If you had an idea, you kind of had to keep it sheltered unless you were like the big boss. Right. And so I would definitely be on the latter side based off of experience and based on how I've seen innovation kind of thrive like within our company. 
So when you're confronted with a problem, are you more likely to think outside the box, build a better box, or set the box on fire? Now, I try not even think about a box. And that's because like I've been successful as far as just not seeing limitations, right? And so and I don't know if it's like my gut feeling that I go with a lot of time, but I'm now getting into the mentality of like not seeing a box. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I like to tell people that the problem with using the box as a reference is the moment you accept that there is one, you're accepting boundary conditions. And in some way, whether you're conscious or not, they're going to limit you. And I think what you're describing is you've been through this enough, you realize I just need this to happen. And, and the worst case is I try to raise a million dollars and I don't. But if I accept that I can't raise a million dollars, I certainly won't. Like, so I can either for sure not raise a million dollars or I might actually do it. I, I think there's a pretty easy choice, but most of us never get to that point. We accept these boundary conditions that, you know, people are telling you can't be done. You're not ready yet, you know, whatever. And uh, I love that mentality. So let's switch to people a little bit. When you're evaluating talent, what do you believe is most important on your team to someone's future success? Character and, and culture fit, you know, that go-getting mentality that like not seeing any barriers type of thing. And these are individuals that like come from corporate too, you know? So it's just like, it, I'm not saying it's easy, but again, it, it, it all deals with that, that, that core competency as an individual and that core character. And like, honestly, that's how I make a lot of my decisions. Like, it's based off of character. It's based off of, you know, you as a human being. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I just want all my companies to, to, to thrive off of that mentality. What I found is, is getting people aligned to whatever the culture is. And if you want to run it based on culture and values and mindset, you got to get other people that think that way. Because I remember many times when the business was growing really fast, and we so often said, yeah, but we just got to get this person with this skill set. And like, but they don't fit. No, let's just get them. We need that talent. And most of the time we said no. And the few times we hired that person, it never once worked out ever. And it was like, because at the end of the day, a skill set with the wrong culture alignment, it just cannot work. Next question. If is your personal decision bias to limit your downside or maximize your upside? I, I go big. I'm a risky person. You know, I, I just feel like, you know, why not put all my energy and focus into getting the most out of this right decision, you know, you know, new product or whatever it is versus being at the, the bottom of the totem pole and just kind of seeing what we could control or like hold on to type of thing. So I'm a, I'm always going to go on the maximize your upside side. If we had a chance to meet you as a, let's say middle school or in high school, were you that way then or were you different? I was starting to become more and more of that person. I lived in New York, you know, like when I was in middle school and like you kind of had to have that independency and like, like if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere mentality. And it's just like, I think that forced it up on me. And then I was also like an athlete and I ran like the 800, the mile and the 3000. 
And like those were just some tough races and especially the 800. There comes a point of time where at the 300 mark, you got 300 meters, well, 300 meters left. It's like, that's where you have to make the decision. I'm going to give my all and just see what I have in this last hundred or I'm going to wait at the last hundred. But if I wait at the last hundred, this guy might have a little bit more foot speed than me. But if I do it at the 300, I'm testing his heart. You know, like, is he going to go with me or is he going to wait? You know, and I felt like at 12 or whatever it was, I had that same mentality. Like I was just a, a gutter. I was just like, man, like I'm about to go. If you want to win, you're going to have to go too. And it was just always that type of mentality. That is a phenomenal, a phenomenal analogy. I just love that one. Your philosophy is so refreshing. I, I think it's so hard for people to embrace. It, for you, it's simple now, right? Of course, I'm going to go for it. Why wouldn't I? But I, I think your analogy of what it's like to be in the 800 and, and you have to decide at some point, I think for many young entrepreneurs, they're, they're always waiting to decide, are they going to go for it? And the answer is, is like, if you wait, you lose. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Desmond. I really appreciate it. We wish you the best of luck. We'll make sure that uh, people hear about the battery exchange and good luck with this fun pivot you're doing during COVID. I can't wait to see how it turns out. Thank you. I'll keep you guys updated. Thanks to Desmond for joining me on Innovators on Tap and sharing some lessons from his career, including his advice that you are enough. A lot of people are going to continuously tell you no, no, no. But don't let that shape who you know you are. We want to thank all of you who have embraced this show and helped us grow our audience so far, including our sponsor, Husco International. While we are proud of our success, we're just getting started and hope that you will tell your friends about the show. We would also really appreciate it if you would take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen please note that we have additional resources available on our website at innovatorsontap.com, including transcripts, articles, and an option to sign up for the Innovation Alley newsletter. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Let's go change the world.